All right, good morning to you. This is now the fifth in a six-part series entitled Love, Grow, Serve. Now, so far we've learned about loving God. We've learned about loving people. We've looked at what it means to grow in our relationship with God and how to grow in our relationship with others. Many of you have also signed up for one of our new small groups with the intention of growing on purpose. So in the next couple of weeks, we'll, we'll be looking at what it means to serve God and to serve the community. Now, how many of you remember the scriptural basis for all of this? I didn't get it because I ate a bad chalupa, but there's a scriptural basis for all of this, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 15 and 16. It says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now there it is. The body of Christ grows. It builds itself up in love as each part does its work. That's love grow, serve. This is God's plan, God's vision for the body of Christ. This is what should drive us and motivate us. This is what should be that what we should be doing. This is who we should be becoming. And so this week, we begin to look at the idea of service, serving God. And so the title for this week's message is simply Serving God. Now, right at the start, I want to point out that the concept of serving is something that often runs counter to our culture. It's one of those Jesus kingdom values that often runs the opposite of how our culture runs, and it runs the opposite of our natural inclination. So, uh, for example, one kingdom value is this, the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Now, in the natural the first are first and the last are last. Like, for example, when I was in junior high and, and after reading class, I booked it down to the cafeteria so I could be near the front of the line on pizza day. And some kids behind me were goofing off in line and the teacher saw it out of the corner of her eye and looked over and thought it was me. And she sent me to the back of the line. I didn't feel like I was first. I felt like the last were last. And when I got all the way through the line and all the pizza was gone... And I had to have some unidentifiable meat product. Well, I didn't feel like I was first. I felt like I was last. But there's something about the kingdom of God where the last are first and the first are last. Here's another one. Die so you can live. Now, in the natural, if you die, you die. And if you live, you live. But there's something about the kingdom of God that when you die to your own desires, to your own will, and you live for God, then you die so you can live. And then here's another one. Give so that you can receive. Now, in the natural, if you give something, it's gone. You don't have it anymore. But in God's kingdom, there's something about giving that you receive from God in return. And then this morning, we're talking about this one. The greatest among you will be the servant of all. Being a servant makes you great in God's eyes. And so many kingdom values run counter to the culture and run counter to our own natural inclinations. So in the Gospels, we see the disciples often struggling with this idea. They were always clamoring to be first, always fighting about which of them was the greatest, which of them would sit on Jesus' right and left when he came into his kingdom. But it looks like after the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, they finally got it. They finally understood what it meant to be a servant. 
And so when Jesus appeared to Paul on the road to Damascus, he said that I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. And then Paul emphasizes his servanthood at least as much as he emphasizes his apostleship in his letters. To the Romans, he said, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. And then in 1 Corinthians, he said, what after all is Apollos and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. And to the Ephesians, he said, I became a servant of this gospel. James calls himself a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter calls himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Jude called himself a servant of Jesus Christ. Christ. And there are also several others that Paul referred to in his letters as servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Epaphras, Timothy, Tychicus, Apollos, and Titus. Now some of you might say, well, hey, that's great, Pastor Paul, but all those guys you mentioned are apostles and pastors. You're supposed to be servants of God. That's your job. That's your calling, to be servants of God. Well, fair enough. As a pastor, it is my calling to be a servant of of the Lord Jesus Christ. However, we're going to see in the scriptures today that it is also your calling. Serving Jesus is the calling of everyone who identifies as a believer in Jesus. Everyone who follows Jesus is called to be a servant of Jesus. As a matter of fact, a believer in Jesus who is not a servant of Jesus is a contradiction in terms. So let's turn to the book of Ephesians now, Ephesians chapter 4. If you turn to the book of Ephesians, you may recognize this as the same book that our Love, Grow, Serve scripture is taken from. Now, Ephesians is a really cool letter because in it, Paul is not really dealing with any problems or difficulties in the church. He doesn't have to fix doctrinal errors. He doesn't have to address relational issues or problems with people's motivations. And as a result... He is free to explore the idea of church as it is meant to be. He's saying, this is what life in the body of Christ should be like. And so he talks a lot about unity and maturity, and not only about the idea of maturity, but about the process of maturing, the process of becoming mature. And so we come to chapter 4, and Paul is going to talk about unity and maturity in the body of Christ, and he wants the body of Christ to be everything that God wants it to be. And in verse 1, he says this. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. He's going to show them what it means to live a life worthy of the calling of Jesus. The Ephesian believers have been called. You have been called. And Paul wants them, he wants us, to live in a way that is worthy of that calling. And so in the next verses, he's going to show them what that looks like. In verses 2 to 10, he talks about unity. He says, be humble, be gentle, be patient, be forgiving, be loving. And and you may recognize this from our... Uh, from our message on growing in relationship with others. We talked about these ideas. And and as, and then as we come to verse 11, uh, Paul is going to pivot to something else that they need if they're going to live a life worthy of the calling they have received. And it says this in verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service, to equip his people for works of service. Now, whoa, stop there for a minute. 
God gave pastors to the body of Christ to equip his people for works of service? Yes, that's right. One of my jobs, one of the jobs of every pastor is to equip God's people for works of service. One of my jobs is to help God's people become servants of God, to find their place of service in the kingdom of God, to find their place of service in the body of Christ. You know, and there are a number of important things in my job description. Some of the things in a pastor's job description change from time to time or from location to location or from culture to culture. Like, for example, uh, one of the things that I need to do every month is prepare for a monthly board meeting, prepare the reports and make sure they're all ready. Now, um, that's something that's important to do in our culture. But there are some cultures that um, wouldn't even think to do something like that because they don't have um, IRS 501c3 laws and all of, all of those um, kinds of issues to deal with. But there are a few things that God himself has inserted into the job description of every pastor in every culture, in every period of history, from the time of the apostles until the time that Jesus returns. It doesn't matter if it's written down in a work document or in a job description or not. These are things that God expects every pastor to do. One is to give attention to the word of God. Another is to give attention to prayer. And another is to equip God's people for works of service. That is something that God expects of me, and whatever else comes and goes, God expects me to help you find your place of service in the kingdom of God. That's my responsibility. That's part of Pastor Mark's responsibility. It's part of Pastor Jen's responsibility. It's part of Pastor Bernie and Pastor Every's responsibility. And therefore, one of the things that God expects of his people is that they will do works of service. Now, someone might be saying, you know, about now, okay, Paul, Pastor Paul, uh, you want to equip us for works of service. What exactly did you have in mind for these works of service? Well, it's not really what I have in mind. It's what God has in mind. Did you know that God already has in mind the works of service that he wants you to do? Flip a couple pages back to Ephesians chapter 2. This is the same book, the same author. He's driving at the same ideas. In Ephesians chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, he says, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, so that's who we were. We were spiritually dead because of sin. And it goes on to say, you were, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Okay, so we followed dark ways. We followed sinful ways, selfish ways. We were disobedient to God and followed the ruler of this world. Then he goes on in verse 3 to describe what we were like. It says, all of us, also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath, or some translations have, we were objects of wrath. We were living for ourselves, living for our own pleasure and desires, engaging in the works of the flesh, gratifying its desires and thoughts. You know, it's not a pretty picture. If we're honest with ourselves, if we're honest with ourselves about our lives before Jesus, it wasn't a pretty picture. But it goes on in verse 4. It says, But because of His great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. Oh, that is so awesome. How we love to quote those verses. We were dead, but now we are alive. We were in darkness, but now we are in light. We lived on the level of the lowest common denominator, but now we are seated in the heavenly realms with Christ. We were objects of wrath. Now we are objects of grace. We were objects of anger. Now we are objects of kindness. What we could not do for ourselves, God did for us. What we could not earn by works of our own righteousness, God gave us freely by His grace, by the work of Jesus on the cross. And that's awesome. That's amazing. That's something to get excited about. That's something to get a little bit Pentecostal about. Oh, how we love to quote these verses. But why? Why do we always stop at verse 9? You know, almost every time I hear this passage quoted, they stop at verse 9. And clearly there are 10 verses that go together in this passage. But everyone seems to stop at verse 9. And I don't know why, because verse 10 is awesome. It completes the whole idea. It says this, verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. At the moment of salvation, God already has in mind good works that He has prepared for you to do. At the moment you came to Christ, He was creating you into a new creation. He was designing you into someone who is equipped to do His work. Whereas before, you could not do His work because of sin. You could not do the works of God. But now, because of the work of the Holy Spirit in you, you are equipped to do His work. His handiwork in you, the stuff that He was and is doing in you, is designed to make you into someone who is empowered and enabled to do the works of God, the works that God has in mind. We're talking about the works of God. At salvation, God was transforming you into someone who was empowered to do His work in the world. Look at the words do in this verse. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's a short word, but it's pregnant with meaning. For some reason, when I listen to people interact with this passage, I get the impression that they're interpreting the phrase do good works as don't do bad works. And the idea becomes we are created in Christ to stop doing bad things. And so we stop smoking, we stop drinking, we stop cussing, we stop sexual immorality and more. And, and to be sure, there are a lot of things that we should stop doing when we come to Christ. There are a number of passages that talk about those things. 
It says things like put off sexual immorality, put off impurity, lust, evil desire, and greed, put off anger, rage, and malice, put off all of those things. And there, there are plenty of things that we should stop doing if we're going to be servants of Jesus. But that's not really what this verse is referring to. It's not really what this verse is driving at. This verse is saying that when you come to Christ, God was at work changing stuff around in your heart, changing stuff in your outlook, creating you to be someone who is now tasked and empowered and prepared to do the works of God in the world, to do works that God already has in mind. That is awesome. That little word do is awesome. It's proactive. It's not passively waiting around for life to happen. It's not passively waiting around hoping that ministry will happen, hoping that the works of God will happen. But it's out there in the power of the Holy Spirit, serving God, making life happen, making ministry happen, doing the works of God. It's proactive and it's creative. It calls good works into existence that didn't exist before. It calls ministries into existence that didn't exist before because now you are doing them. It sees a spiritual need and fills it with God-inspired action. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works which He prepared in advance for us to do. God already has in mind the works that He wants you to do. And so here in chapter 2, Paul is preparing them for where he is about to take them. He's introducing the idea that we are created in Christ Jesus to do good works. He introduces the idea that God already has these good works in mind. And so as we come back to chapter 4, Paul is going to push this idea out a little bit further. These good works are not just random good works that you do as you have the opportunity. It's more than holding the door for someone when you go into a restaurant. God has some specific purposes in mind. So let's go back and look at them. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that... Now stop there for a minute. Imagine you are an Ephesian believer. You're gathered together to read this letter and you received from the Apostle Paul and he's already mentioned the tremendous transforming grace of God and he's mentioned these works that God has planned for you to do. And now here he mentions that one of the roles of the pastor is to help you get prepared to do uh, these works that God has in mind. But he hasn't really said what these works are yet. He hasn't really said what God's purposes are until now. He says, so that. So now he's going to elaborate. He's going to tell them what is on God's mind as it relates to these works that God has planned for them to do, that God has planned for you to do. And he's going to share with them what God's purposes are. He's going to share with them the things that God expects to see happen among them as a result of these works that he has prepared for them to do, as a result of them doing the works that God has prepared. So let's read the verses together and then we'll unpack them so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now there are three ideas in these verses, so let's take them one at a time. 
God gave pastors to equip his people for works of service so that first the body of Christ may be built up. The body of Christ may be built up. The first result that God expects when his people do the works of service that he has in mind is that the body of Christ is built up. It's strengthened, it's encouraged, it's edified, made stronger, made bigger, made sturdier. It's built up spiritually. God wants us to be spiritually strong. God wants us to be spiritually built up and strengthened. He wants us to be built up in our knowledge of the Son of God. Some of the works God has prepared in advance for us to do have to do with strengthening others with strengthening the faith of others. That's why we have ministries like Sunday School, Wednesday Night Bible Study, Small Group, Children's Church, Youth Group, Women's and Men's Ministries, so we can build up the body of Christ spiritually, so we can help the body of Christ to become strong spiritually. And I want to take a second to say thank you, thank you, thank you to all of you who are ministering in these areas. You are a blessing to the body of Christ. My question is, are there some people who are not involved yet in what God is calling you to do, haven't yet started doing the works that God has prepared for you to do? Or are there some people who are under-involved in doing the works that God has prepared you to do and building up the church spiritually? And then God also wants the church to be built up numerically. God loves people, and He wants to add people to His body. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He desires that people from every tribe, every nation, tongue, language, every people group be part of his body. And so some of the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do are intended to build up the body of Christ numerically. They're intended to reach out to people with the love and grace of God. They're intended to add people to his body. And so this is why we have outreach, outreach ministries and compassion ministries like CityGate, Five and Two, Prison Ministry, and Water Street Mission. This is why we do outreach events like VBS that we're doing this summer. And why I would like to do more events like Harvest Fest or Ultimate Preschool Play Day or Memorial Day and Veterans Day events if we have the workers to do that. Because God intends for the body of Christ to be built up both spiritually and numerically. And then the second thing, the second result that God expects when his people do the works of service that he has in mind is that the body of Christ reaches unity in the faith and in the knowledge of Jesus. The body of Christ reaches unity. And look at what kind of unity this is. It's not just unity for unity's sake. It's not just sitting around a campfire and singing Kumbaya. It's not just having warm, fuzzy feelings about unity, but it's unity in the faith. It's unity in the knowledge of Jesus. And so as we do the works that God has prepared in advance for us to do, as we build up the church spiritually and numerically, it also results in this cool unity in the faith. And this might be surprising at first. I mean, because why should doing God's work result in unity? Well, think of it like this. People who have been in foxholes together often share a lifelong bond, a lifelong friendship. It resulted from shared opposition, shared crises, shared hardship. 
when you work for Jesus, sometimes you have opposition. When you work to advance the cause of Jesus, sometimes you have opposition. I don't know if you've noticed, but there are people and forces out there who have determined to make themselves enemies of Jesus and enemies of the Bible and enemies of those who love Jesus. Now, we are not their enemies, but if we're honest, even in the land of the free, there are forces that have made themselves openly hostile to anything Jesus or anything Bible. And we really shouldn't be surprised because Jesus said to anyone who would follow him, if they hated me, they will hate you also. So when the body of Christ together does the works of God prepared in advance, then we together absorb the onslaught of the enemy of our souls. We together extinguish the fiery darts of the devil. If this part of the line over here looks like it's weak, we rush to its defense. If, if we advance, we advance together. If we take spiritual ground, we take it together. And the result of all this working together, of doing the works of God, uh, the, the works that God has planned in advance, is unity in the faith. Unity in the knowledge of Jesus. Listen. The devil has tested you. The devil has tested me. The devil has tested those around you. And we're still standing because we are doing the works of God together. We stand together in a common cause with Jesus as our captain, with Jesus as our head. And the result is we reach unity in the faith, unity in the knowledge of Jesus. And then the third thing, the third result that God expects when his people do the works of service that he has in mind is that the body becomes mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The body of Christ becomes mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The body of Christ begins to look more like Jesus. The body of Christ begins to look more like it belongs with Jesus. Look at it again. It says, Christ gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up, may reach unity, and may become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. There's something about serving Jesus that helps you to become mature. There's something about giving of your time and gifts and resources that helps you become mature. And when the whole body of Christ is serving Jesus, doing the works of service that he intended, it helps the whole body to become mature. It helps the body to attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Now that's an amazing phrase. To attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The idea is, if you're not doing the works of service that he has prepared for us in advance to do, then we can't really attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. You can't attain to the whole measure of everything that God has planned for you without doing the works of service that he planned for you in advance. Think about it like this. If you never work out, if you never exercise, what happens? You become weak. You don't develop strength. You, you don't develop any muscle tone. And as a kid, when you're growing up, if you don't get outside and exercise, if all you ever do is sit on the couch, what happens? You become underdeveloped. You don't develop. You don't mature like you are supposed to. So part of maturing in Christ is exercising your faith. 
to mature, to grow strong, to develop spiritually as God intends, you must exercise your faith by putting it into action, by doing the works that God has prepared for you in advance. Look at how this passage continues. This is beautiful. Verse 14, then we will no longer be infants. If you don't do the works that God has prepared for you, you remain infants spiritually. But if you do the works that He has prepared for you, then you will no longer be infants. But instead, verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow or mature to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. There's that word mature again. God has prepared works of service so that the body of Christ can be built up, the body of Christ reaches unity, and that the body of Christ can become mature and attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. As we get ready to conclude, I just want to read this entire passage again. It's one of the most beautiful passages about the body of Christ and the, and the beautiful vision of, that God has for it. So as I read this, I want to encourage you to just listen carefully. Let these words sink into your heart. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of Him who is the head, that is, Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As each part does its work. We can't become everything that God intends unless each part does its work. The days when the pastor did everything that there was to do in the church are gone. They have to be gone. You know, I can remember stories that some of the old timers used to tell of how the pastor did most everything that there was to do in the church. And the people kind of just came and soaked it up when they were here. Uh, and, and I'm glad that those days are over. The church cannot be everything it is intended to be on the strength of the pastor's gifts alone. I'm not gifted enough by myself to see the church reach its full potential. But the people of God have all the gifts needed, distributed just as God intended, so that we can grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, that is Christ. We collectively have the gifts needed so that the body of Christ at Lancaster First Assembly can grow and build itself up in love as each part does its work. The scripture in the book of Acts is found in chapter 13, verse 36, and it says this, Now when David had served God's purposes in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors. Life is short. 
we have a certain amount of time in this life and then it's gone. And for the Christian, we're going to have all eternity to enter into God's rest. But we only have one life to live for Jesus. We only have one life to spend serving Jesus and his purposes. And God's testimony about David is that he served God's purposes in his own generation. I want that to be God's testimony about me. I want God to look at my life when it's over and say, He served my purposes. He was dedicated to my purposes. He did the good works that I prepared for Him to do. I think that the highest achievement, the greatest reward, the highest award that anyone could ever receive is to stand before Jesus, have Him look you in the eye and say, Well done, you good and faithful servant. I believe God has at least one place of service for every believer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for the calling that you have on our lives. Thank you for the change that you've made in our lives. And God, we acknowledge that you have called us into ministry. You have works that you have prepared in advance for us to do. Now, God, I pray that you would speak to every heart, God. Encourage those who are serving in ministry, God. And for those who aren't involved in ministry or are under-involved, God, I pray that you would give them a passion for doing the works that you have prepared in advance for them to do, God. Uh, God, give them your wisdom as they're looking at what ministry that you have for them, God, and uh, give them a sense of your calling, God. And Father, we pray that the body of Christ here would attain to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.